ACC Premier Cup, Thailand hosts Zimbabwe while women's action continues in Africa. That's all coming up this week on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. But first, a huge shout out to our latest patron to sign up, Ruan Senaratne. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. From as little as $2 a month, you can help the cause by becoming an EC patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. Let's get straight into the action for this week. Welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, live on your favourite podcast spot. Daniel Beswick here with you alongside Nick Skinner this week. Tim with his nose to the grindstone, as always, preparing for uh, the Australian Indigenous Tour of Vanuatu, making sure that's all ready, and we're looking forward to watching that as well. But here with Nick, who uh, looks to have returned from his... uh, sojourn to the Faroe Islands. Uh, how are you, Nick? You're you're looking uh, slightly refreshed, uh, seemingly a good trip. Yeah, Faroe Islands, I can definitely recommend uh, as a holiday destination to anyone <laughs> anyone out there who's uh, willing to go to the North Atlantic, uh, just among the most beautiful places I've ever been and, um, you know, just a f- fascinating culture and history and some amazing scenery. So, yeah, great time. Uh, and, and I discovered a new uh, crime TV show, which I'm sure Tim will have lots of time to watch uh, at the moment. Uh, it's called Throm. It's set in the Faroe Islands. And uh, I, I almost bought the uh, the book that it was based on, but I figured we have enough books as it is. Uh, yeah. I've got this backlog in my, my shelves here where there's a charity book fair once a year up the street and Mel and I go yes. and we buy five books. Uh, the issue is I think I read maybe two to three books a year, so I'm always behind no matter what. Uh, <laughs> yes. There's a lot of books here just sitting here in the <laughs> in the shelves. But yes, that's very relatable. <laughs> the book I'm about to start actually is uh, Emerging Cricket Related, Playing With Teeth, Jake Perry's book on uh, Scottish cricket. Looking oh, of forward course, to yes. Giving that yes. A, a crack as well at some point. So shout out to... To Jake. Well, the first one was excellent, so yes. Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, plenty in the emerging cricket world to document. I'm not sure if anything is being written about in a book just yet, but uh, we've got a very interesting ACC Premier Cup on our hands here as we head to the business end. Plenty of cricket elsewhere as well. The Victoria Series in Uganda uh, done, and then and that goes basically straight into the Capricorn Quadrangular Namibia are hosting as well. Thailand women are hosting Zimbabwe. The Ireland Test team is playing in, in Sri Lanka after a, a tour of uh, Bangladesh as well. We've got so much cricket going on. It never really seems to end. And, you know, we're sort of at sixes and sevens every week on the pod, just making sure that we're all good, ready to record. But we'll start with the ACC Premier Cup. And we're, as mentioned, about to head into the business end. Looks as though we've got the semi-finalists locked up as we do record, and the semi-finals play out on Saturday. Nepal will take on Kuwait, while Oman will face the United Arab Emirates. There are plenty of, I mean, it's such a big tournament with so many teams. that There's so many topics of conversation. Singapore have been really poor, and we'll, we'll get into that at the moment. Nepal are probably the clubhouse leader in terms of who will take out the tournament at home, and thus far being... Pretty strong, only really been slowed down by the rain that's come down and curtailed their match against uh, Saudi Arabia. But 
looking around, Omana there, thereabouts as well. Sad to see Akiv Ilyas injured again uh, after coming back, breaking his hands. But it, 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 it's got the makings of a, of a great tournament here. Two semifinals that we're about to see. And uh, a, a few other teams who are, who are not quite at that level just yet, but definitely on the improve. I think we've seen some glimmers from the likes of Saudi Arabia and others, Nick. It's been a great tournament to watch. Yeah, it's been been excellent. And just a reminder, of course, that the ACC, uh, you know, the Asian Cricket Council is really the gold standard when it comes to regional cricketing administration bodies. And, and they've just delivered another excellent tournament here with uh, a lot of exciting cricket and a lot of good opportunities for, for the up and coming teams. I, I think, uh, as you say, Nepal looking to be the, um, I wouldn't say they're running away with it, but um, they've definitely been keeping the home fans happy. Some Some spectacular performances, really. I mean, you know, how about Kushal Muller there with a, you know, two innings, a century of 50, strike rate of 170-odd, thank you very much. Um, so a lot of exciting cricket being played uh, by the home team. Um, I, I guess the thing is, you've got a point here that I totally agree with. You know, you look at their batting and suddenly Dependra Singh Iree is batting number eight and yeah. <laughs> and they've got a lot of depth. And, and that's that's been the huge difference we've seen, you know, thinking back to that amazing run in League Two to qualify directly to the to the Cricket World Cup qualifiers where they won 11 out of 12 matches at the back end there to make up the difference and, and sneak into that top three ahead of Namibia. It's 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 a remarkable turnaround and, and it's kind of, it's what we've been saying, you know, all along. The ingredients were there the whole time. It just was kind of the instability and, and there wasn't really any continuity within the team and it seems like they finally found the uh, sort of formula to become the dominant team that they uh, deserve to be and you know the fact that they absolutely thrashed Oman who were the yeah. uh, sitting at the top of League 2 for quite a while there and, and ended up being second uh, you know Nepal put up 300 odd which was their highest ODI score and then they bundled out Oman for for 220 odd Sandeep Lamachane the story there with the bowling became the fastest uh, bowler in terms of matches to take 100 wickets uh, in ODI cricket uh, 42 matches but yeah I mean it, it's interesting that suddenly Nepal are a batting heavy side and it, it will be one thing to watch you know, if they do make it out of, I guess, the the lower leagues, if you want to put it that way, and into the main Asia Cup, can they carry through that batting? Uh, we've seen the pitches here in Nepal uh, over the last little while have been quite batting friendly, and we have seen some huge scores, which we might get into on the other side of things as well. But can they take that batting if they do win, uh, which is which is a big if because there's some stiff competition coming up. But, you know, if, if they do uh, make it to the main Asia Cup, the question for Nepal, I think, will be, whether their batting can translate onto maybe less batting-friendly surfaces. Um, yeah, and I mean, looking elsewhere in, in that Group A, uh, Oman, yes, semi-finalists, but again, they just, they just look a little bit tired. Um, it's kind of all the same names, still doing the same things, and you know, a lot of reliance on Bilal Khan still for penetration with the ball. Uh, Zishan Maksud still reliable with, with bat and ball, but yeah, there just doesn't seem to be much replacement coming through. And so the, the question, you know, it sort of almost feels like a bit of a, a changing of the guard with Nepal, uh, with that result, uh, you know, being so emphatic and Nepal are on the up and Oman are kind of on the decline. Um, and, you know, you'd think, yes, Jatinder Singh has had a couple of good innings, but again, he's definitely on the wrong side of 30. I, I don't want to um, be too harsh on people for their age, but, you know, where are the next uh, generation of Omani players coming from? Um, whereas, yeah, Nepal definitely have that production line and, and finally they have the stability with the coaching, it seems. So they look like they're in a much better position all of a sudden. And yeah, I mean, Malaysia, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Qatar a little bit disappointing. 
Uh, Malaysia had a pretty good win against them. Your friend Syed Aziz doing the business um, in that game against Qatar. And Qatar and Malaysia are starting to build a, a nice little rivalry. They've had a few close tussles in the Challenge League as well. Um, and Saudi Arabia, after all the um, sort of fuss and uh, media attention over the last little while, um, they've, they've done okay. Abdul Wahid uh, has, has been quite good with the bat for them, but uh, they haven't really managed to string together enough uh, victories. And um, yes, they batted quite well against Oman in that last match, but Oman just were, were too strong. So yeah, I guess Saudi Arabia are on the upswing, but yeah, not quite there yet. Whereas Qatar, yeah, a bit disappointing. Yeah, pretty well summed up. Group A. Looking to Group B, I will start, I suppose, with with the top at, at some point. But Singapore have just been flat uh, and and poor in in almost every single facet. It started from the first day. It it never really improved. A lot of the 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 ins and outs of the team are well documented. I think you know it's been long enough now without Tim David to make that an excuse at this point. They're missing a few other players as well. Amjad Maboub is a big loss. Janik Prakash, uh, who's a, a good young all-rounder coming through, is missing due to uni exams, I believe. But it shows that there's just so little depth. And, and to be fair, in at this level of associate cricket, Singapore being, let's say, a, a medium-sized associate member, a team that, that has had success in the past, but isn't a Scotland or a Nepal or a Netherlands or anything like that. Once you do get into the group of, say, your 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th to 20th best players, it can be a big drop. And we've seen that in Singapore. Uh, Outside of of a couple of performances, there hasn't really been anything positive to note. Uh, Bahrain is a team that we think are uh, definitely on that swing. Of course, they qualified for this competition um, via the the Challenger Cup, like Saudi Arabia did, and they've definitely had their moments as well. But the big story is we re-record this section is that Kuwait uh, managed to knock off Hong Kong to set up a semi-final match against Nepal. Uh, Kuwait made two hundred seventy-two for eight. Hong Kong, in reply, could only muster two hundred forty-two. We'll talk about that boil over a little bit more probably next week, if anything. Uh, that result actually came in after Nick and I were recording most of this chat. So we are taking uh, some of the illusions away a little bit for you here as we uh, release this week's pod. Uh, there will be plenty to talk about that. Um, but yeah, first things first, we'll get through the stuff that we did manage to see before Nick and I sat down to record properly. Looking at the pitches in Nepal for this tournament, TU ground has turned into a bit of a row. There's been runs there at, at every game, and I don't necessarily hate it because I think for, for so long, associate cricket has been played on pitches that haven't been conducive to batting, and I think it's been to the detriment of, of teams looking to develop their skills and playing high-end full members because there's no real sense playing on these bowling-friendly wickets and then going into high-end full member action as the best associate teams, either at global tournaments or at regional tournaments and, and being outclassed. So I don't mind the fact that there's runs at TU ground at the moment and teams are cashing in, but malpani has been a little bit slower and a little bit more of a challenge, a little bit more spin friendly. So there's been equal challenges in, in each measure at, at both grounds, but looking at the potential final fixture, assuming Nepal beat Kuwait and UAE beat Oman, although, you know, especially the second match of those two is is far from a foregone conclusion, but it will be another intriguing clash between two sides who have not only been even matched over 
the last little bit in League Two, but there is some history there given the uh, the last match at the TU ground, which uh, Nepal won on DLS due to bad light. Yeah, that'll be a tasty matchup, assuming that's the the way the final plays out. Uh, although, you know, we, we can't underestimate the value of just finishing in that top three. So there's there's definitely going to be something to play for for all four semi-finalists there with the top three qualifying for the uh, ACC Emerging Teams Asia Cup, uh, yep. which is a little bit later on in the year and, and features the sort of second 11 of a number of the Asian four members. So that'll still be a good opportunity for the top three teams there. Uh, I, I think... You know, looking at uh, the sort of uh, finger spin <laughs> uh, stocks here, it's hard to overstate how important Ayanaf Zalkan has become very quickly to this UAE side. You know, he provides runs in the sort of middle to lower order, but he's also uh, topping the wicket tally as we speak. Uh, he's He's been very economical as well, very efficient uh, when given some assistance off the pitch. Uh, so, you know, combined with Kartik Mayapan, you know, this this young crop of UAE spin bowlers is looking quite exciting as well as, obviously, um, the, on the batting side of things. Mohamed Wazim, we've talked about in the past, he hit a big ton, striking at 160-odd. Hard, hard to go wrong there. Um, but Vritya Arafin really cashing in uh, in a couple of those games, hit 180-odd against Kuwait, uh, which, I mean, you'd kind of expect uh, against a, a weaker team. Um, and then the UAE absolutely pummeled Singapore, won by 200 runs. Uh, they put up 471 in that first innings there, with Richard Aravind uh, notching 174 of 133 deliveries. Very handy performance from them you know, it kind of shows where these two teams are at. And, and Singapore not too long ago would have uh, fancied themselves a chance of beating the UAE. And and that's just, you know, not a realistic prospect at the moment. Uh, yes, they're missing a couple of important players, but I mean, you look at their, you know, the top run scorer for them, Chandra Mohan with 105, that's not really good enough. Uh, and and on the other hand, you know, Vinod baskaran has been okay with the ball. Um, again, finger spin going sort of, under under five and over in in a high scoring tournament, not too bad. But yeah, six wickets as the best effort for them. Yeah, hasn't hasn't been fantastic to watch. So it's 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 you talk about the Tim David thing, and I I don't think it's just Tim David because Tim David no, doesn't not. make a, a huge difference. I mean, obviously he's a quality player, but th- there's no one. You know, he wasn't totally dominating in in the way that we would imagine. You know, when he was playing for Hong Kong, he was a consistent, good performer. And, and they were certainly building, especially in the T20 arena, they were building the team around him. But it, it, we can overstate how much of a difference he makes. So I think there's something a bit more to the story here. And, and I don't know what it is, because as you allude to, you know, a couple of guys out, uni exams, um, Rohan Rangarajan has been sort of in and out with, I think, military service at one point and, you know, various other uh, responsibilities so they, they have a young team and they have guys who have come through the Singapore system and so I, I don't quite know what the issue is because they they do have a lot of the same guys who, who were performing very well you know sort of three years ago and, and I, I don't think you can just say it's down to Tim David um, so yeah one, one to kind of look at and, and try and I guess on their side, do a bit of introspection as to, to sort of what's gone wrong there. But yeah, just on that game with the UAE and Singapore, uh, sadly for Richard Aravind, it seems like these games are not counted <laughs> as List A statistics. So while he's uh, been yeah. he's been filling his boots uh, with these these big hundreds, but uh, unfortunately <laughs> it's not going on his record. And this is it's sort of on one level, it's quite comical. Why is it not 
list A, especially since uh, Bertus de Jong and others had had it explicitly confirmed from various people involved in running the tournament that it would be list A. And then suddenly, with no explanation, they've basically just been told, oh, actually, it's not list A, um, which, uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny, but it's also ridiculous that once again, talking about status nonsense and what counts as, yeah. uh, you know, official statistics. And it seems like, as far as I can tell, there's no actual criteria for list A status, uh, aside from it just being at the whims of ICC bureaucrats who uh, apparently don't seem to understand the fact that teams can play list A cricket below basically League Two. So, yeah, I don't know. It's There's, there's a lot of things that people blame the ICC for that aren't the ICC's fault, but this stuff, you know, the status nonsense, that is 100% on them. I, I t- To be honest, when it all sort of shakes out, I... I- don't really know where I stand. I mean, I'd like to think we would live one day in a utopian emerging cricket world where, quite frankly, it doesn't matter if these matches have status or not because we can sort of take the information that we get from all of these matches, put stats together for, for our own benefit, and the distinction is all but trivial. But I think deep down we all know the importance of keeping these matches on, on record and keeping them consistent with list A records. And it, it's probably... It's a bit erroneous that, you know, Vrida Arvin will make all these runs and, and they won't really go to any sort of tangible numbers that we can sort of stack him up against other other players in. And that is disappointing. And I just don't understand how we can go basically 150 years into what international cricket has been, let's say, from the first test matches in the, in the 1870s to, to now. And we still don't really have confident distinction as to what counts as a 50 over or a limited overs match of this nature between two associate members of the ICC. I just don't understand how we can go this far and not have a pretty clear cut distinction as to what counts and doesn't count. You know, the the statistician in me absolutely deplores the fact that we don't have uh, list day status for, for these matches, but the the cricket fan and the the emotional fan in me feels like we can we can still sort of take a lot of it a, a, and run with it without the need for it. But it's about posterity and it's about having these numbers you know available to us and, and it makes it difficult to to keep these matches on record as well. We know we'll have the scorecards there forevermore, but to not sort of have them in in another space like records or or, or statistics is is I think actually quite troublesome for for what emerging cricket is and what it wants to be and how it wants to develop because you know without those those sort of numbers on on paper it's actually hard to kind of quantify now in the case of Vrita Aravin two outstanding knocks you know the the knocks that he's made here the hundreds that he's made we could probably make the case or make the point that uh it's time now for Vrita Aravin to to make these big runs against stronger opposition I know he's made league two hundreds and, and in that level of the game too he's been quite imperious at the T20 World Cup qualifier that he played in last year, qualifier A. Uh, he was excellent as well, and he made runs there. The one sort of thing that he hasn't had the chance to sort of complete yet is when he went to a global tournament, the T20 World Cup, in the first round. He, he didn't quite kick on and make make runs. So I think now the big challenge for Vrita is to, is to make tough runs. We can see that he likes to cash in uh, on good wickets against opposition that are perceivably weaker. But I think 
you know, for him to go to the next level. And you have to remember, you know, he's, he's a very young kid at this point. He's got all the makings of being a very good player. Once he moves into his mid-20s uh, and, and beyond, you would like to hope that when UAE get the challenge of playing some bigger teams that he he can go out there and, and, and score more runs. Whether or not we get the chance for him to, to do that, given uh, the framework of international cricket, is, is yet to be seen. Looking uh, towards the, the back end of this tournament now, we would probably put Nepal as, as tournament favourites, uh, considering you know you, you can leave Karan KC out of the team and still be really good. I think is a, is a testament to their depth and, and, and probably shows you that they are the best team on paper. Uh, and looking at that batting order now, it's just so rock solid in the middle and it's something that they've been crying out for for years. You know, I'm a huge, huge fan of Bim Shark. You love the way he goes about things. Whether or not he's on my list of, of favourite associate cricketers, Nick will <laughs> will get to that side as he's, as he's at the tournament. So uh, don't don't really want it to, to seal his thunder. But Yep, yep. Spanking a few down the ground. Lovely to see. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously not a big guy. He, he shifts his weight around, plays some good cricket shots around the wicket. Very organized, compact technique is good to see and, and one that is ever consistent. You know, look at the scores that he's made over the course of the start of his ODI career and it shows, you know, those consistent scores tell me at least that he's got a very safe technique and, and one that, you know, he can emulate his performances based on that uh, quite a bit, which is... It's good to see. Uh, and yeah, for me, they look like favourites. Yeah, just quickly going back to Richard Aravind, I, I think it is worth uh, keeping an eye on the, the fact that he had a bit of a dip in form and, and he was playing quite badly for about a year or so, uh, basically as the uh, kind of instability reached a crescendo with the, you know, the previous coach and, and some drama there. So it's kind of an open question as to whether that was sort of weighing on him. And, you know, the fact he's been able to come back so convincingly, you know, we saw it almost in real time at the back of League Two, where he was scratching around, but he was he was sort of digging in and, and trying to stay at the crease and and slowly finding a bit more fluency, uh, looking a bit better in the um, in the World Cup qualifier playoff where he started scoring some runs and and here now he's making hay against yes some weaker teams, but you know he's still got to go out and score the runs and and the fact that he does have the technique to stay out in the middle and keep going, it, I think is is worth uh, worth noting. So. I think the signs are good, and yeah, hopefully he can translate it, as you say, to to the next level up. Uh, just looking ahead at the rest of the fixtures, the first semi-final and second semi-final will both be played out on Saturday the 29th. The third place playoff will be played out straight away on the Sunday, so quick backup for, for whoever loses those semi-final fixtures, and then the final is played out on Monday at the TU ground. Those matches are on YouTube as well, on the ACC's uh, YouTube channel too, so uh, no excuses for, for missing out on that. Heading to women's cricket now, and action in Africa in the form of two different series, the Victoria series uh, in Uganda and the Capricorn Quadrangular in Namibia just getting underway as we record. More women's internationals with Thailand hosting Zimbabwe as well that we will get to as well. Looking to the Victoria series first, which is finished. Uh, Uganda claimed victory at home. There was a little bit of rain at the back end of the tournament. Only one game out of the last four on the schedule were uh, played out. They did win uh, on the round robin sort of uh, portion of the tournament and they were undefeated as well. 
Uganda was supposed to play Tanzania in the final. Not possible. Persistent sort of rain just kind of kept them off the ground. Looking to some of the individual performances, Henriette uh, Ashimwe was the most valuable player at the tournament. Kavisha Egedage winning best batter. Konsiweko ever-present and ever-consistent for Uganda, taking out the best bowler accolade. It was fascinating having UAE at this tournament, looking to, to play in different conditions. Uh, you could tell they were a, a little bit behind, just not having sort of that, that local knowledge. They are playing in the Capricorn series as well coming up, so more experience for them. Uh, Hong Kong also playing in that tournament. We'll talk about that in a second. But looking at, at Uganda, I think, again, you know, a, a number of the key performers stepping up, the, the likes of Janet Mbabazi as well as Konsiweko. Bowling strength is one that we see a lot in associate women's cricket, and, and it came through uh, the, to the fore again, defending a lot of low totals. Rwanda also claimed a win against Tanzania as well. Tanzania were the team that made the finals. So uh, plenty of parity in this region, and it's, I guess, just the result of uh, what this region has been over the last, say, five to ten years, and they have played so much cricket against each other. It's good having UAE sort of cross-pollinate into this tournament as well and almost get some of that action for their own benefit too, Nick. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tim made an interesting point last week about you know the fact that the UAE is kind of a, an international airline hub. It gives them a good launching pad to kind of stick their nose into a bunch of uh, tournaments around the world. So uh, it's good that they're, you know, utilizing that, that strength of geography that they have. Yeah, otherwise, yeah, good tournament. Uh, you know, all the teams ended on uh, two wins each, except uh, Uganda with three wins. Um, so, yeah, a bit of parity. Uh, Kenya, obviously, at bottom of the table, uh, didn't win a game. Disappointing from them. Yeah, so they'll be asking some questions. Not too long ago, they were uh, one of, definitely one of the better teams, even in the women's game in in the African region. So the, the fact that they've slid so far is both kind of an indictment on their cricket, but also on the flip side of that, it shows how strong everyone else has become in, in kind of uh, competing. And, you know, it's just that, that thing of having constant uh, high-quality competition. And, you know, Rwanda have been getting better and better. And they, um, you know, the fact they beat Tanzania, which they haven't done much over the last little while. Uh, the fact they beat Kenya, who, again, they haven't uh, beaten Kenya very much uh, over the last little while uh, is is good signs. The Ashimways uh, continue to develop in, in leaps and bounds. Uh, Giselle and, and Henriette both um, both doing very well. Konsiweko, of course, uh, took the most wickets in women's T20 internationals last year, and she continues uh, her good form here for Uganda. I, I think the, the kind of concern for Uganda, and we, we might get to that in the women's Capricorn series, is just the fact their batting still isn't really producing consistently. And, you know, when you do have a good bowling unit like Ponsiweko, like Janet Mbabaze, you know, Irina Lumo, a number of these uh, these players have been very good for a number of years uh, with the bowling side of things, but they, they just don't quite have the production with the bat. And, you know, Kevin Owino was okay, uh, but, yeah, you know, looking at the stats for the tournament, Kavisha Egadage for the UAE was the only batter really that, um, looked particularly convincing. Um, you know, even uh, Matae from Tanzania, who's a second top run scorer, only averaged 26. Um, a lot of batters kind of averaging in the 20s, which is, yes, fairly typical for sort of women's associate cricket, but it, it's it's an area of concern for, for any of these teams who are trying to make the step up uh, to the next level. But um, yeah, yeah, just a good tournament overall. And it's, it's one that's uh, been run... Uh, sort of on and off for a few years now. I don't think it's been played since maybe even before the pandemic. Um, 
so it's good that the Ugandans have revived this. And I mean, Uganda is just one of the more exciting cricket boards at the moment. You know, they're they're running a lot of tournaments. They've got a lot of games happening. They've they've got uh, some some exciting teams. Uh, you know, a lot of good players coming through. So if they can sort out their batting, uh, this women's team from Uganda is going to be a real threat, both at the regional and and going up to the kind of global qualifier level. Uganda will be a real handful for a lot of teams. Yeah, I guess only disappointing that they couldn't play the final because the round robin group match between Uganda and Tanzania was <laughs> was a real thriller. Uh, Uganda won by three wickets. They they posted 79 in a match reduced to 15 overs per side, uh, and Tanzania bowled out for 76 on the last ball uh, in the 15th over. Uh, Jenna Mbabazi there, as as we mentioned, uh, four for 21, very handy effort with the ball and and the, yeah so uh, a very exciting game that one and unfortunately we, we didn't get to see the rematch in the final but uh, yeah good tournament one sort of final point and and not to be a downer but Kenya were quite disappointing in in the tournament they did play uh, a very new side according to uh, Dennis Masali who has uh, reported on the tournament on emerging cricket so definitely go over there and get that rap as well uh it was also a bowing out for sharon juma who called time on her uh international mm. career they are ranked uh 23rd in the world kenya in women's t20i cricket but you would think that that would now take a bit of a beating given their given the week that they've just had they lost to rwanda twice who are technically ranked two places below them on that and we know that rankings don't mean a lot at this stage but uh in terms of you know regional qualifying and and you know potentially looking down the barrel of of rankings being uh quote unquote more important uh for, for qualifying that that might be quite a big deal later down the line so that that's a little bit disappointing from the kenyan point of view but again it just goes to show that you can't really stay on top for too long in, in this region because someone will uh, overrun you. And we know that Zimbabwe missed out on this tournament being in Thailand and they were the defending champions, didn't get a chance to actually defend their their tournament. But you would think, you know, in future iterations, um, they come back and they're, and they're not exactly strongholds of the region either. You know, we know that they struggled at under-19 level. They lost to, to Rwanda in, in that World Cup and they're not nailed on winners even, you know, by the advantage of being full members in the region. It's it's not something that, that, that makes them really any better. Let's look to the Capricorn Quadrangular. Uh, in Namibia holding this one, Capricorn Quadrangular is sort of a, a jewel in the crown of their women's international summer. Uh, Uganda have travelled to that as well as uh, UAE who played in that Victoria series, but also Hong Kong who have actually travelled to a different region to play international women's cricket for the first time. It's very exciting, a, a sort of a new chapter in the, the history of Hong Kong international cricket. Jeff Lawson's taking the coaching reins for this series as well. Great experience for Hong Kong just to, to get some some different cricket under their belt, you know, travel the world and play international cricket. You know, not many people get the get the chance to say that in Hong Kong have been able to, to, to go to Vintook and to play international cricket. Looking forward to this, it's just uh, early in the tournament, so not a whole lot for, for us to really uh, add here in terms of what's happened on the field. But a double round robin tournament means a lot of cricket, Nick, and, and we'll see plenty of action over the next week or so. Yeah, and once again, it'll be a good sort of measuring stick of, of where everyone is. And uh, as we keep talking about, it's always good to get more 
kind of cross-pollination between the, the regions. So we've got a couple of Asian teams and a couple of African teams here. Uh, good good stuff from Namibia, you know, lining up, you know, for example, Zimbabwe weren't able to travel this time. So, you know, lining up a couple of interesting replacements with the UAE and, and, and Hong Kong. I mean, you would imagine Namibia are probably favourites at home at the moment, but, you know, UAE have turned it around in, in their first game against uh, Uganda. They won by 50 runs with Tieta Satish, obviously one of the one of the exciting young guns scoring the bulk of the runs there and um yeah that's kind of what we were saying is just that that issue for uganda with the, with the 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 batters not really producing um jeff lawson yeah interesting appointment for hong kong it'll, it'll be uh one to watch to see sort of if he sticks around or if this is kind of a sort of a short-term thing because uh, you know obviously he brings a lot of um you know a lot of experience uh at a coaching level to Hong Kong, um, so that'll be very good for their players um, to to have someone of, of his calibre, uh, you know, take, taking the reins. Uh, so yeah, I think they'll probably be a bit outclassed here, but uh, it'll be a good experience. Uh, although you know they did look good against the UAE, uh, winning a, a thriller, uh, and you know one <laughs> a classic one wicket victory off the last ball. Uh, you know you can't get much closer than that. Uh, Mariko Hill was seventy six there. Uh, you know, on, honestly, since Mariko Hill's come back to Hong Kong, she has been a little bit disappointing. So hopefully this heralds a, a bit of a turnaround in, in form for her. But yeah, you, you know, Hong Kong have some interesting players, a lot of exciting talent coming through. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be uh, good to watch them over the next sort of week or so. Uh, and um, yeah, once again, good good tournament. Very, uh, very keen to see how it plays out. Well, also the round Robin games will be played out on the 1st of May and then the third place playoff and the final will both be played out on the 2nd. Uh, it would be remiss of us not to acknowledge Zimbabwe being out of the Africa region and the reason for that is that they're in Thailand on a, well, a bumper tour of Thailand. It must be said, uh, the T20Is and the One Day Internationals as well. Three One Day Internationals and then four T20Is. A uh, bit of inclement weather had to sort of move around the T20 schedule a little bit. So we'll probably look more at the T20s uh, when that series is actually finished. But uh, to look at the one-day internationals, and first of all, it's, it's great that these teams are, are playing one-day internationals in the first place with the teams having status. And I know that we, we made the same, uh, a similar point in regards to list A status earlier in the show. But to have these... Matches count as one-day internationals is a great sign, and, and importantly, it does go towards ODI rankings and, and something that hopefully doesn't curtail Thailand's bids for and Zimbabwe's bids for one-day World Cups in in the future. Because we know that's one of the reasons it it all kind of came crashing down when COVID struck at the World Cup qualifier at, at the end of 2021, before the uh, 2022 Women's. Cricket World Cup. Just running through the results of the one-day series to begin. Uh, the Thai women won the uh, first match by 78 runs, the second one by 45 runs, and then won the third in a clean sweep by six wickets. Probably, I want to say it doesn't really show... I think the teams are probably a little bit more even than that on paper. I think that you know Zimbabwe travelling to Thailand, playing in, in different conditions, probably set these teams apart a little bit. I think Zimbabwe are, especially with the bat, probably reliant on the likes of uh, Musonda and Mapachkwa and Mugari Terrapano and, and probably Sean May as the top four, uh, probably a little bit too much. And, and that's been shown with this series in particular. But 
Thailand at home, um, a couple of great individual performances that that, that stole the headlines. The, the Patcha Putawan taking six for six in 6.1 overs. Uh, Naramal Chaiwai was relatively solid with the bat, especially in the middle order and, and picking them up after being in, uh, put into some precarious positions. But uh, Thailand too strong and least of the, in the one-day series. Yeah, it was good to see uh, you, you mentioned uh, Naramal Chaiwai there and uh, she has been a bit disappointing with the bat. Uh, over the last couple of years, I, I think um, she has shuffled around a lot uh, in, in the order as well, which certainly hasn't helped. Um, but yes, I, I think she's been very good in this series, uh, a couple of half centuries in sort of contrasting styles. You know, uh, the first match, a couple of early wickets, Thailand in a bit of trouble. She, she played that sort of stabilizing role and, and sort of scraped them to a defendable total uh, of 150-odd. And, and in the third game, where Thailand were chasing a pretty low total and uh, she went a lot harder, hit a number of boundaries, and, and uh, went at a pretty good clip and got them home very comfortably. So, uh, contrasting innings and and just showing the talent that we you know we all know she has. Uh, and um, you know, as as skipper, uh, one interesting thing was to see uh, Summer and Tipok uh, opening uh, back up the top of the order, which is you know Thailand have shuffled around their their um, their batting lineup quite a bit over the years, and it, it seems like. They they just haven't quite been able to nail down that uh, that sort of reliable partner for Natak and Chantam. Uh, Chantam as well had had a decent series with a you know half century in that second match um, and, and a very good partnership with uh, with Tipok there at the top of 101. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess if they've gone back to Tipok at the top, I mean that's kind of a question mark. But uh, yeah, definitely looking to the positives. Obviously, uh, Tapacha Putawong. Uh, we've we've known she's been a talent for a long time. Uh, she's she's come through their sort of spin production line, the the factory, I guess you could call it. Uh, she's already played uh, quite a lot of uh, T20 internationals. She's been in the team for for a few years now, but um, you know she's she's still not even 20. So uh, you know a lot of lot of quality coming through for Thailand. So which is good to see. Uh, and I, I guess looking to the Zimbabwean side of things. As you say, yeah, they're very sort of top-heavy with that batting. Um, and, you know, once Thailand were able to get a couple of breakthroughs, they really ran through the, the kind of middle, lower order uh, very easily. And, uh, you know, great effort, obviously, <laughs> from Putawong. Six for six and six overs can't really get much better than that. But, uh, you know, also good to see uh, Nataya Butchatan back in the wickets. She took three for seven in that third game to really uh, just wipe out that top order. Um, you know, she got... Uh, Magiri Tirupano, she got Mupachikwa and she got Masonda uh, all in pretty quick succession and, and that really put an end to any chance of Zimbabwe posting a, a competitive total. So, um, yeah, I mean, pretty clinical really from, from Thailand. Nothing too, uh, I guess, questionable other than, you know, what they do with their batting combinations and, you know, maybe down in the middle order. Chanita Suturang also, uh, you know, had a couple of decent outings with, with bat and ball, so good to see her uh, working her way back into form. Uh, Silipun Laomi, another one. Uh, leg spinner, a lot of talent. Uh, you know, so yeah, all the all the kind of reliable performers for Thailand uh, are producing again, and and that's that's really good to see. And I mean, I know this point has been made before, but you know, can you imagine if if there was a men's Thai team that was you know this successful? Uh, you know, hosting Zimbabwe, winning very comprehensively three uh, nil. There'd be Probably a lot more interest in, uh, you know, full member talk. But, of course, you know, there's this kind of double standard with the women's game, which I think is uh, very disappointing, you know, especially 
with the ICC claiming that they, they want to put women's cricket uh, first in a lot of ways. And, and yeah, so we don't need to relitigate the injustice of the 2021 qualifier, but, you know, Thailand really showing that they belong at, at the top table and the fact that they're excluded from the the women's championship. Uh, yeah, incredibly disappointing. And, you know, they really deserve more opportunities at this level. But, uh, you know, good good on the Thai board for organizing these tours and um, making use of their ODI status. As mentioned before, we'll wrap the Thailand-Zimbabwe T20I series in full next week. Just a final note, too, that the planned fourth T20I in the series uh, is not going ahead due to a scheduled conflict with the Southeast Asian Games coming up as well. Uh, finally, as we record, the second Sri Lanka Island test goes to a final day in Gaul. At the start of day five, Ireland are 54 for two in their second innings, trailing by 158 runs after Sri Lanka made 704 for three declared. That's all in the Emerging Game this week. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com. And on behalf of Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, have a good week.